Hey, ladies and gents, welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast episode 193. I am your host, Jared Weich. No Dom this week, no Chris, but I am joined by Max Roberts. How's it going, Max? Hey, Jared. It's going pretty darn good, especially since the PS5 was revealed. Uh, Max has been a guest on the show a long, long time ago. <laughs> yes. Um, but since then, you've been doing some really cool stuff. Uh, I wanted to have you on this week, obviously, for the PS5 reveal, but also because you recently came out with this really cool project called Chasing the Stick. Uh, can you let the listeners know what exactly that is? Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm a huge fan of Naughty Dog games in general. I've always been drawn toward them. And so Chasing the Stick is the history of Naughty Dog during the, the PlayStation 4 generation. Um, the history of Naughty Dog has pretty much been written from their beginning up through the PS3 by different outlets and various sites. You could think of uh, IGN's Rising to Greatness. But this PS4 era doesn't really have a history yet, and so I decided to write about that in preparation for The Last of Us Part Two, which comes out in a week. So I covered their entire development from uh, you know, The Last of Us and Left Behind at the beginning of the generation all the way up through Part 2 here. Um, and so I wrote that and put it up on my website, uh, maxfrequency.net. There's a tag up at the top if you want to go see the story itself. But I also, after realizing it was so long and difficult, you know, a, a big, pretty big commitment to actually read for the audience, I also recorded it as a free podcast for people to go listen to as well. Uh, so it's a bit easier to consume if reading's not really your thing. Uh, and that's on most major podcast services, correct? Yeah, it's on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, um, Overcast, Castro, and Pocket Cast are the apps I focused on primarily. Yeah, if you so search if for Chasing the Stick, it should be there. If you uh, are a fan of Naughty Dog, or even if you're just a fan of video games in general, I highly suggest going and checking it out. Um, this is kind of like the niche stuff you don't see a lot of people doing. Um, so it's really cool that you kind of took this under your belt. And I know you're a big fan of Naughty Dog in general, so it's a bit of a passion project, right? Yeah, I, I actually do this kind of history and research stuff a lot throughout my life. I, uh, when I was a kid, my parents said I couldn't play like The Legend of Zelda games and Pokemon for whatever reason they had. <laughs> and so like when I turned 13, um, that was when both Pokemon Diamond and Pearl and The Legend of Zelda Phantom Hourglass were coming out. And I had two big like school folders full of Nintendo Power scans and online articles and things just showing like how I was old enough to finally play these games. So I've always been a guy that really likes sinking my teeth into games I care about. And um, I thought, I'll do The Last of Us Part 2. That'll be great. And then it was like, well, what if I talked about Uncharted The Lost Legacy and Uncharted 4? And then it was just the whole, it turned into the whole scope of the PS4 generation for them. It's really cool that you did it multimedia too. Like, you know, not everyone likes to listen to podcasts. Not everyone likes to read things. So depending on how you consume that stuff, there's an option for you, which is really cool. And probably took a lot of hard work, <laughs> I would imagine, it, on your end. It took about four months uh, from February to its release here in June. Um, four to five months. I realized when I gave it to my wife, Abby, she said she would help, like, proof it. When I gave her a printout of it to read and she only got maybe a quarter of the way through it, I was like, people are not going to want to read this, <laughs> if, you know, if it's not their thing. And so that's what uh, led me to create the audiobook version as well. Awesome. Well, we'll talk about it a little bit more at the end of the podcast as well so people can go and check it out. But 
until then, let's get into this news. We have a little bit of a rundown to get through from some smaller tidbits coming out, and then we get to the big, you know, the meat of the podcast, the PlayStation 5 event, because there's a lot of stuff to talk about there. Not only the announcements and reveals we saw, but the intricacies of the questions we have afterwards, right? Um, mm. So we'll see what happens there as we get into all of that goodness. But let's first start off with this rundown. So first up, Criterion has confirmed that a new Need for Speed game is in development. Obviously, their last title was Need for Speed Heat, uh, mm-hmm. which had a very Miami Vice uh, aesthetic to it. Um, reviewed decently well, sold okay. It seemed like it wasn't... Need for Speed for the longest time was on this downhill trajectory, <laughs> despite being a very Ugh. popular franchise. And though Need for Speed Heat wasn't necessarily a win, it did seem to right the ship a little bit in the right direction for people. Um, so it is nice to hear a new one's in development. I think most people want Need for Speed Underground. I mean, I'm not super versed in the franchise myself, but hearing my friends and other people talk about it, that's like the sub-franchise of Need for Speed that a lot of people talk about. Um, Un- yeah, Underground Underground is probably like the the holy grail of the need for speed series i'm partial to need for speed carbon and um a couple of like the police centric ones like um oh what was it called most wanted most wanted i think maybe hot pursuit hot pursuit hot pursuit maybe. um <laughs> that one like i'm partial to those games and then most wanted on the the ps3 was also really good those are kind of the games i love i this most recent one reminds me a lot of the Forza Horizon series, which I think is a tweak in the right direction for them because it's that more arcadey, fun, Need for Speed vibe. Um, so I really hope they kind of, you know, come out swinging with this, whatever their next project is, to kind of get me back into Need for Speed. Yeah, it's, I mean, with the release of Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, and I mean, specifically Respawn in general, uh, with Apex Legends as well. EA could possibly go into this next generation and bring back the franchises people love in a good way, you know? Even mm. with the... We've seen the updates to Star Wars Battlefront 2 turn that into a really fun and enjoyable thing, whereas when it launched, it was a nightmare that launched this complete flux in the industry of microtransactions, right? So, you know, EA is a bad guy for a lot of a lot of reasons, but recently um, they've shown that they have been listening uh, and speaking of one of the things they did listen about was this Madden 21 upgrade. So if you didn't know with Xbox smart delivery, if you purchased Madden 21 by December 31st of 2020, you could upgrade it to the Xbox series X version by March 31st of 2021. You had a deadline for both of those of when to purchase it and when to upgrade it. And everyone was like, that's weird. Why are you having a deadline? This is kind of like, you're kind of having your cake and eating it too. Of we're going to participate in giving you a free upgrade, but we're we're mandating guidelines and and you know uh, end dates for these these products. And they came on like, hey, we heard the feedback, we were wrong, and now the way it's going to work is you can uh, purchase Madden 21 and upgrade to the next gen version uh, up until the release of Madden 20, uh, 2022. So that's really cool. Oh, that's the way it should be. <laughs> that's a that's a good call and. It, it doesn't keep it going in perpetuity, you know, forever, because, you know, these games do come out every year. So that's – and this is only on the Xbox? So – and this is part of the whole thing with PlayStation. We don't have clarification with how their thing is going to work mm. necessarily. So I'd imagine it's going to be the same for them, but we act, we don't know until they say something, you know? So – Yeah. I would assume so, but you never know. And this is part of, you know, people lambast EA for the, you know, the crappy stuff they've done in the past – 
But this is a, a point where they've heard feedback, they listened to it, and they changed it, you know? It's not a saving mm-hmm. grace by any means, but it is a, a slight change in culture from what we've known for years past. It's so got to give props. Step in the right direction. Know? Yeah, if we're gonna if we're going to criticize them when they make mistakes, we should applaud them too when they do the right thing, you know? Uh, as mm-hmm. small or as big as it is, a little bit of applause is necessary, I think, anyways. Um, this one is interesting. So, Dom Matthews, if you've seen any of the Ninja Theory videos um, for any of their releases, that being Bleeding Edge or talking about Howlblade, uh, he's the guy who's usually front and center on their video presentations. Um, he's been uh, recently named studio head of Ninja Theory, which is a huge deal. Um, obviously, now Ninja Theory is owned by Microsoft. We know that they had Bleeding Edge, and now they're currently working on Hellblade 2 Senua's uh, Saga. And to see him as a studio head is really cool. They have a really strong internal team. It's not very large. People played Hellblade and assumed that Ninja Theory was this big studio, but they were able to squeeze every amount of quality out of their small studio and their weird like mid-range indie AAA approach to video game development. Um, I wonder if... We don't know the exact structure of Ninja Theory, so I don't know... If he's the head of a specific studio at Ninja Theory, right? If they have multiple studios or if right. he oversees all of it. But, you know, uh, promotion is, in a, is a promotion. And he seems like when he's on these video productions, he understands what people want from the studio and he gets the culture of Ninja Theory. So props to him. Promotions are always awesome to see in the gaming industry. Next up, 343 is hiring for a new Halo project. This one is kind of interesting considering we're on the precipice of Halo Infinite. Um, it's unclear if it's a spinoff or if this is, you know, very early hiring for Halo 7, the game coming after, the mainline game coming after Halo Infinite. But the job listing stated this, 343 Industries is looking for a senior producer to work with our core services team to help develop a new project in the Halo universe. Now, this is intriguing, uh, Max, because not only have we gotten the Halo mainline titles, we've gotten games like Halo Wars, we've gotten ODST, uh, Halo Reach, which isn't a mainline game either. So, do you think that maybe 343 is looking to... I guess, let me preface all this. Let me back up a little bit. So, people, some people are of the assumption that Halo Infinite is going to be a games of service living title, right? That's why they kind of ditched the number at the end. Also, mm-hmm. because when you get higher up in sequel numbers, it kind of wards off a huge part of the gaming community, right? Because it's like, oh, do I jump in now? Do I have to play all the other previous titles? Mm-hmm. So, with this... I wonder if because Halo Infinite might end up being a games of service type title where they support it for years on end, maybe throughout the Xbox Series X life cycle, do you think that this might be a secondary project so they can get releases out in between that? Like an ODST, like a Reach, or maybe even in a different genre altogether within the Halo universe? It's it's totally... The Halo series has that legacy, right? Like you talked about. The ODST, Reach... Um even Halo Wars and those arcade games as well. Like there is, there is a legacy of spinoff content for Halo, not just video games and other stuff, movies or not movies, but TV shows and um, books and whatnot. There's even a podcast that was really good before Halo five. So it makes sense. Three, four, three's, I believe a fairly large studio, like substantially large, yeah, very large, yeah, huge. So, <laughs> have no trouble imagining them splitting into two teams or you know having a smaller team while the bigger team works on halo infinite odst and reach are some of the best halo games. i think odst is the best halo game and it's 
there is a room to thrive and experiment and i'm really pumped to see what infinite actually looks like on a gameplay front you know here presumably in july at the next xbox event and that could give us a taste for where halo is going mechanically and then there are things they could explore in spinoffs and you know it makes sense to get that work started now or ramping up now as they get closer to release so they can start making that next project whatever it may be well and microsoft has shown a willingness to let their big franchises kind of breathe in other genres like this year we got gears tactics right which is an XCOM style game taking place in the gears universe and like we mentioned there was even there was the arcade halo game i don't know if you remember it it was like a top-down arcadey game what was that called firefight maybe halo firefight i might be wrong about that sounds sounds about right yeah so <laughs> we'll roll it. There's yeah, there's plenty of things for them to do. I I do hope that it is a spin-off like ODST or Reach. I know you said ODST is your favorite. For me, Reach is mine. Um and it's funny because neither of them are obviously mainline titles. And it is a weird thing with franchises where when you do a spin-off, you're able to kind of you have a little bit more breathing room as like writers and developers to not stick to the concentrated mainline lore that kind of ties you down, right? Where you need to hit these specific beats. You need to do this specific thing with this character. Uh, and it kind of opens it up to more interesting storytelling, I think. So we'll see what happens to clarify real quick. We're talking about three, four, three, uh, as of 2016, they had 450 employees. Holy I'm assuming macro. that number is shot up <laughs> at this point. You okay. Know, four years yeah. Later. They, they have a lot of people. It's it's almost like Halo is one of, if not the biggest, <laughs> Xbox franchise. Yeah. Um, I'd be super interested in uh, 343 maybe splitting up and having a team that doesn't do Halo stuff uh, and maybe work on a new IP or something else. Um, who knows, though? The future's bright for them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What were you going to say? I, it'd be certainly interesting. They're super talented, you know? Um, like, they don't. I just replayed um, kind of the back half of the Halo games with some friends. And while 4 and 5 are not, you know, the most beloved games, they certainly really have a knack for visual design and gameplay and all sorts of stuff. Their storytelling has improved, I you know, over the course of them taking over the Halo franchise. But there's a ton of potential there. And they've Halo Infinite seems really ambitious, and I'm really excited for it. And I mean, they're I would say the Halo releases are some of the last like blockbuster equivalents in the video game world. Like, I I love Last of Us and I love God of War. Maybe God of War is a little bit blockbustery, but to me, Last of Us is more of like an Oscar film, right? High quality. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. Whereas Halo, Halo is still high quality, but it does read more like a popcorn blockbuster flick. Um, you with movie. Halo with Halo, you get the Mountain Dew and Dorito campaign to go along with it and you can go into a 7-Eleven and get it and that's perfectly <laughs> fine because it's awesome you know you're buying this gamer fuel and chiefs on the bottle and you're like yeah let's go kill some covenant well and the thing too with halo 5 is obviously the the story is very divisive in that game but most people consider the multiplayer in that to be the series best like the culmination it, I, of everything they've learned so i i would be one of those people halo 5's multiplayer is wonderful Let's hop into this next bit here. Speaking of Halo, uh, the people who are at the beginning of it, Bungie. Uh, you know, people don't really talk about Bungie that much anymore, um, especially after their breakaway with Activision. They've kind of been doing their own thing as an independent studio. And 
Destiny 2 hasn't been talked about a whole lot, though it's still thriving. There's still a good, you know, player base there. But they recently had an announcement of the future of Destiny 2. And there were some pretty interesting tidbits. So, uh, when they revealed the future plans, this is all that they went through. Uh, first off, I want to mention, they started the stream with uh, an 8 minute and 46 second tribute to George Floyd and his passing. Which I thought was a really classy move and really awesome. Something they didn't need to do, but was much appreciated. So, good on Bungie for doing that. Um... Because it is weird to do these video game announcements in a time where video games seem more trivial than ever. Um, still great, but, you know, there's bigger things happening in the world right now. As far as these announcements, first one. Vault will store older, unplayed content to make sustainability easier. So what they explained is that the game is getting to a point right now where they can't feasibly update and take care of everything that's going on because there's so much in the game right and if they want to continue this game to be a living breathing sustainable thing they need to vault some content that isn't necessarily being played by a lot of people or being used and with that not only are some things going to go away they talked about that some older stuff from destiny one will come back and they didn't weren't super clear on this uh but the way they talked about it, it seemed like it'd be like new and improved i don't know if just visuals or maybe some different changes to the the layout of everything but uh with the first expansion in the fall they talked about the cosmodrome coming back if you don't remember the cosmodrome was the earth area that was in the beta and the alpha for destiny way back when and mm -hmm. was the initial starting area in destiny one so it's going to be a flash of nostalgia for people so I, I get the vault. Uh, it when you get games like that that are ongoing and there's so much content, your team is only so large, right? And as some of them are working on new stuff, you have the team that's working on sustaining it. Do you think the vault is something that they looked at now that they're approaching Destiny Two as more of an MMO and less as a an action shooter? It. So I I, I was a long-time Destiny player. I was there in the alpha and all the way up through um, Forsaken, I think that was the name of it, on for Destiny 2. So I I know the beginnings and kind of the middle of Destiny, I guess, but not this most recent stuff. And the vault itself has kind of always been there. It's just a place to store all your junk. And I think it's interesting that they're just going to store older, unplayed stuff there. But theoretically like you won't be able to go back and play that old style stuff like they are wiping away some of these old mechanics and things eventually you know destiny one won't work like people still technically can play destiny one but i guess it's good there but one day the destiny one servers will be shut down and then what is what is the point of keeping that stuff around so i'm not sure why keep it around unless they do plan on they internally have plans to, like, then we're going to bring this part of the old game back and this part. Like, unless there is a future for that content or a way to access it currently, I don't... It's nice that they're not getting rid of it because people would freak out. But if people can't use it, I'm not sure what the point is unless well, there's I a see plan. It, I see it as, like, a, maybe it could be a clever way to remaster the first Destiny in chunks, right? Of, like bringing back parts of it and doing substantial work on it, but in sections. And as mm -hmm. they bring it into destiny two, it no longer is necessarily a part of destiny one. So when destiny one does get sunsetted, they still have a lot of that destiny one content, but now it works and is with destiny two, you know? And yeah. Th and sort of like a uh, Hitman, 
with the second game they did, they brought, they remastered or improved all of the levels from the first game. And if you own the first game, you could play those levels with Hitman 2 mechanics and graphics and performance and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, the next thing here, they were pretty clear on this. They said Destiny 3 isn't a thing. They're focusing on a living game. Uh, Lucas Smith, the head over there at Bungie on Destiny, kind of reiterated that point several times throughout the stream. And something that came out after the stream that I thought was neat, Jason Schreier with his, you know, Schreier bombs always. Mm. Um, if you remember back when Bungie split from Activision, he tweeted, this is back in January of 2019, which seems like a million years ago at this point. Uh, at today's meeting announcing the news, Bungie staff cheered loudly. Can't overemphasize how happy they are just to get away from Activision, but to have a game that they now own completely. Imagine a destiny free from Activision's restrictive annualized schedule. Now, he followed this up recently on June 9th after the stream, and he said, One major tension point between Bungie and Activision, back when they were still together, was over uh, was the fight over games of service, Bungie, versus annualized sequels, Activision. Which is why Bungie just made it clear that Destiny 3 is no longer a thing. So, you know, now that they're out of the clutches of Activision, they seems like they don't want to do a Destiny 3, at least not anytime soon. And they want to focus on this living game. And it makes sense that Activision was like, no, we need to add another number, you know, at the end of that and mm -hmm. uh, have a new release. So props to the game I'm, developers for getting what they wanted. Go ahead, Max. No, you, you fine. I just, I'm curious when they drop the two, when it just becomes, it's just Destiny. Destiny, yeah. Because obviously that was the name of the first game. But if numbered sequels are not the future of the franchise, which is perfectly okay, big expansions is kind of, been the bread and butter of destiny for most of its life you know when do you drop the two when does it just become destiny beyond light destiny the witch queen and so on and so forth yeah and you you mentioned them speaking of those they announced the three next expansions for the game so beyond light is the big fall one destiny players are kind of accustomed to at this point uh it's coming out uh september 22nd 2020 and then you know people were expecting maybe that uh, but they didn't expect to see the other two expansions, which are the Witch Queen, which is coming 2021, and Lightfall, which is coming 2022. Uh, unclear, but assumed they're the big fall expansions. Once again, we know beyond Light's specific release date. We don't know if Witch Queen and Lightfall are coming out in the fall of those respective years, but one can assume so because Destiny's cadence with DLC is that the big expansions come out at the beginning of the fall. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, with Beyond Light specifically, it'll introduce a fourth elemental power called Stasis, which is joining Arc. Uh, solar. I miss, uh, solar, yeah, I wrote Stasis twice. Arc, <laughs> Solar, and Void, uh, which are obviously the blue, yellow, orangey, and purple powers that were way back in Destiny 1. There hasn't really been a new introduction of an elemental power, so this is kind of huge for the game. It, it will be. It'll, it'll definitely be a big uh, mechanic change for everyone. And the expansion itself will be taking place on the ice moon of Jupiter, Europa. Uh, interesting to see if there will be new enemies. From what we've seen, they're just like ice elemental versions of uh, the Taken and some other species we're already accustomed to. Welcome to Destiny. <laughs> Welcome to Destiny, yeah. Uh, and it's it's tough because obviously part of you is like, what well, introduce new enemies, we want new enemy types. But also, you have to think about it from a developer's perspective. It's probably a lot easier to slap on some different elemental stuff to already existing assets than it is to create an entirely new set of them 
when you have this ongoing game full of all this content, you know? And that is kind of the downside of not having the annualized thing where you cut this thing off at the legs and move on to the next project. Now you're kind of having to, you're running on a treadmill trying to get everything going, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah, but that is Destiny. <laughs> that is an ongoing joke in the community. Lastly, uh, next-gen upgrades of Destiny 2 owned content and cross-gen multiplayer will be supported entirely for free. Obviously, we know via smart delivery for Xbox and whatever PlayStation has yet to explain on PlayStation 5. So whatever you own of Destiny 2 on your current-gen console, you'll be having access to on next-gen, which is great, especially since it's a living game now and you want to have all that stuff carry on with you. Of Um, course, yeah. I guess the question here before we hop into the PlayStation 5 stuff is with Destiny, you're a lapsed player. I'm a lapsed player. I kind of left off maybe... December of the year Destiny 2 came out, so a couple mm-hmm. of months afterwards, uh, give or take. And it's just one of those games where I've always felt like I don't want to hop back in because it seems like it's so overwhelming. It's also, honestly, a game that I only really find enjoyment through the social aspect of it, and none of my friends are going to go back to Destiny 2 at this point, no matter how much I try to convince them. Um so it's like, do I hop in because there's a bunch of dope stuff coming and it is a living game at this point and there's no three on the horizon uh, and kind of deal with the lack of social play with my friends? It, it's weird. I don't know if I'm necessarily going to hop in. I like their direction. I just don't know if it's for me at this point. It might be a little too late, you know? Where do you sit? I'm I'm in a very similar situation. My The reason I played so much of Destiny was because one of my best friends, Kevin was really into Destiny. Like, he went out and would play it on his own and sought out the content. And so through him, I'd get to basically be dragged along to do really cool stuff. So I I did the raids because he was doing the raids. So he would teach me and play. And so, you know, we, us and another friend, we were like a three-man team for Trials of Osiris. So we, we kind of there were in the glory days of Destiny 1 and then Destiny 2 launch and whatnot and stuff. But then, you know, I hit a wall where it's just like, I've I've done everything I want to do in this game, like the same content over and over. I don't really want to grind for these specific armor sets and so on and so forth. I'd come around for the story expansions, do the story, play the game for a little bit, you know, trials and such like that, and then I'd stop. Um, but then Kevin sort of stopped playing too, and so I didn't have that person to attach to to, like, see all this cool new stuff. Um, and so I don't think I'll go back unless... Unless there's a real sense of community within my own friends and group to play together, I, that that would be what would draw me to it. Because I, Destiny is a game I play while talking to other people, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's very valid and very similar there with you. And the tough thing, too, is as they lean more and more into the MMO stuff, it kind of takes me farther away from wanting to play it because... I got into Destiny because it looked like a cool variation of Halo, if I'm being completely honest. I mean, Uh, it was. Yeah, and the shooting mechanics are so good. But the problem is I've tried World of Warcraft. I've tried Elder Scrolls Online. I've tried all these MMOs. And for me, it's it's the genre uh, that I hit a dead wall and quit, like, more than any other. I just – I'm not into the, the fetch questiness of it or doing stuff over and over again. It just MMOs are not my jam personally, you know. I've tried mm-hmm. the genre over and over again. I can't do it. And with Destiny, I got to the point too where it's like, I just don't kind of want to do all this stuff over and over again. I, I'm not into chasing this stuff because I don't see a point in it. Um, and it is the social moments of 
you know, taking down a raid with your friends or just bullshitting about what you did that week while you're playing multiplayer, right? And I don't mm-hmm. have that anymore, so it's like, well, I even enjoy Destiny at this point, you know? So it's, it's just it's just kind of the way the cookie crumbles, at least you know, for players like us. But then the, the others that are really into it and that grind and that pursuit of getting everything and checking off boxes, and they're really into it. Like it has a vibrant community, but I, it's it's not the game for me right now. And here's the thing: I'll first state by saying. God, I hope this game is good. I'm about to deflect to a different game. Same conversation, though. Marvel's Avengers. I want that game to be good so bad. Uh, I'm a huge Marvel uh, guy. Huge. Right. And I'm so invested in Marvel g- in general. I'm a comic reader, obviously MCU, all that stuff. That's the type of game that I can sell myself on to play that without friends. Because... Obviously, at launch, I'm going to be playing with friends, yada, yada, yada. But because I love that universe so much, I could see myself grinding and spending too much time on that. Uh, but with Destiny, I don't have that connection to the IP necessarily where I can't justify it to myself. Whereas, right. even if Marvel is an okay game and it isn't great, I'm not going to lie to myself you know, on air. I'm going to play the hell out of that game, um, no matter how middling it is, though I hope it's not. It has a lot of potential, we'll see. I'm with you in hoping that it's good, but my draw to the game isn't so much like that multiplayer social aspect of it. It's just I want to see what they do with the single-player story. So I'm super curious to see how those two worlds connect, you know? Yeah. Like where where does the single-player and the multiplayer overlap? Where does the social and the traditional gameplay, you know, overlap, you know, and what is necessary? I hope Part it, of me hopes I it really do hope it's good. I hope it's like a really dope single player experience, start to finish, great campaign. And then there's the multiplayer stuff where, you know, it's social and you get new gear and all that stuff. The voice acting, uh, in terms of the cast we know so far, is tremendous. You know what I mean? Uh, Mm -hmm. So we'll see what happens. I do like that you'd assume that an Avengers game would focus on the Avengers themselves. But from what we've seen, it looks like it's going to be about the Avengers through the lens of Kamala Khan which I think will be really cool if done right. Um, for so many reasons, obviously representation, but also she's an Avenger not a lot of people know about necessarily. So yeah. it's going to be dope. Uh, but that's enough about Avengers. Let's get into this PlayStation 5 stuff. So Speaking if you've been living under Avengers. a rock, <laughs> if you're a pink starfish living under a coconut or a rock or whatever the hell that thing is, I don't know what Patrick was. I under. think it's a rock because they call it like Patrick's rock. I think it's a rock. I've always looked at it as a coconut for some reason, which is weird because the bottom of it is all brown and flat, and that's not how a coconut looks when it's cut in half. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, PlayStation presented their reveal event uh, on June 11th, uh, marking uh, marketing with a focus specifically on PS5 games and the next-gen experience only possible on the hardware. Here's what happened. We're going to run through this. Um, real quick note. uh Today would have been the last day, June 11th, of E3 if it was happening, which is super weird. Because with this PlayStation event, it feels like the beginning of all of the announcements for summer. Um, right. It, 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 I tweeted this out just before the show. Like it, it felt like E3. Yeah. And we've had this discussion on the podcast before of, I already miss E3. Obviously, a lot of issues with it. Not defending the ESA. But I do like the condensed, week-long, I know what to expect. This drawn-out thing, like... I love the PS5 event that happened today, but it still feels like it's not as exciting all at once. You know what I mean? 
Because normally mm-hmm. it'd be like, we got the Xbox press conference, we got the Bethesda press conference, and let's see what Sony does. And now it's like, Sony did this awesome thing. Okay, how long till the next event? Okay, it's like 13 days it's, until the EA I was, I was like, it's going to be exactly. And then <laughs> yeah. what, who, there's no date for the, the Xbox event, and Ubisoft WBs, is in July. It's, yeah. it's just all over the place. It's this long, drawn-out summer. But let's sit in this happiness that was a PS5, and let's get through this. So, started with the really hype montage, starting with the PS1 startup into modern and upcoming releases like The Last of Us Part Two and Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, <laughs> for me, knowing that we've kind of are under the assumption now that there's not going to be any PS1, PS2, PS3 back compat, it was a little bit of a sting to see that PS1 startup. Just a little bit. It's like, ugh. I, uh, but it was cool. It was, it was just like a big hit of nostalgia. It was just like, yeah, you know yeah. what's up. Um, uh, but you're right. We have no idea. It It is more and more likely that there is no back compat beyond the PS4. Uh, but it was really cool. Really nice montage. There was the discussion of were they going to start with a cold open, you know, and then get into the montage, but they decided to start with the montage. Either way, good I, choice. I do think they showed most of PS4 games and I did think that that communicated a strong backward compatibility with the current generation because PlayStation has had confusing to say the least messaging with like what their back compat plans is. So I did think it was strong for them to be like, here are a bunch of PS4 games that most people love. Like they're pretty well received and it's not just our games, but some other third party games as well. So I thought it was strong for them to come out and, you know, show that first to kind of just establish you can play your games or at least most of them, hopefully. Who knows? Well, and then there's that weird thing, too, where they, I don't know if you saw this, where on the PlayStation 5 website they removed some wording uh, related to, like, backwards compatibility. I just want them to be like, yo, this is exactly what's happening. Here you go. Um, one, David, one would hope. <laughs> Yeah, like even the Mark Cerny thing was odd and confusing. I don't know. Um, anyways, enough of the negative uh, about Sony. Let's get into some awesome positive stuff. So, uh, I guess this is positive depending on who you are. Some people might have been like, eh, but we saw GTA Five. The moment I saw this, I was like, oh, it's getting a port. Great. Which makes sense business-wise. If you don't know, GTA Five is <laughs> sells like gangbusters. It's in the top 20 MPD every month since its release. Just incredible. Um it's getting an enhanced port. It's coming 2021. But the interesting tidbit at the end uh, is that PS5 owners will get GTA Online at launch, uh, which is really cool. And current PS4 owners of GTA 5 will get a million dollars every month up until the release of the console. Um, it, it reminds me of um, I went to school at the University of Central Florida, and there was one particular football season where they lost every game. Um, so early on in the season, a local bar promised free beer until UCF wins a game and obviously that restaurant <laughs> had to give out free bar beer the entire football season so it was pretty hilarious um so I can just imagine like Rockstar it doesn't come out until December 2021 and so just millions and millions of dollars of GTA currency have just flooded into that online ecosystem because they got the game out later than they would theoretically hope it just made me chuckle the interesting thing here is that I don't know if this moved the needle for people actually watching the event, but the millions upon millions of people who play GTA, knowing that they're going to get uh, it at launch for free is pretty cool. Just, and I think it will pay dividends. It just, it's the part of the conference where you need to have an announcement for everybody, right? Everything's not going to be for everybody, uh, but mm-hmm. it is going to be huge. Like this is probably one. 
based purely on business and numbers financially, this is probably the biggest thing in the event, in my opinion, because of what we've seen with GTA 5's sales trajectories. Like it just, just the fact that GTA Online is as big as it is to not first of all not only make a standalone version of it so what will that cost eventually because it's not going to just be locked to the first three months of psn for free like people will be able to buy gta online finally like they don't have to go out and buy gta 5 to play gta online so how much does that cost and that's a three that's three months of it for to a three month period to download it for free and then you own it forever um, you know, just like any uh, games with gold or PlayStation Plus, like if you redeem it, it's yours as long as you have the subscription. Um, and you need PS Plus to play GTA Online anyway. So, how you know, is it a twenty dollars game, thirty dollars, fifteen, ten? Like, what does that cost? And the fact that they're going to give it away for the first three months, let's say, the PS Five comes out in November, that means December, January, and maybe the beginning of February, GTA Online's for free. Everyone that gets this console at launch and for Christmas and in those first couple months can get this game for free. The online community, like, transitioning from one console to the other has a big potential here. I mean, there are huge success stories of PS Plus games. Rocket League, Rezogun are the first two that come to mind. There can be a really big bump in numbers on a new-gen system that's pretty good. Sony probably paid a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, Paul, they backed up a Brinks truck. Uh, I was a little disappointed because I was hoping for a Red Dead 2 port. I think that'll eventually still come, but... Uh, I believe it would. In the venue of Rockstar stuff, I'm definitely more of a uh, Red Dead guy than a GTA guy, but... But um, also, Rockstar knows what pays the bills. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, Red Dead sold really well. Nothing sounds oh, like sold GTA incredible. 5, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, sold incredible. Next up, we had Jim Ryan coming on, uh, looking a lot more presentable than during the Mark Cerny thing, where it was like, it was really weird. <laughs> he came out, he's like, hey, he's like, this was, this yeah. was much better. Yeah, very, a lot more presentable. Uh, I like to criticize him quite a bit, but I will give him props. He, it was probably the best I've seen uh, Jim Ryan uh, since taking over. So we thanked Rockstar, and then he pitched the show, obviously. You know, you're going to be seeing the future of PlayStation. We're going to give you reasons to buy the PlayStation 5. Incredible piece of hardware. We've had developers working on stuff. We've invested in the platform. You know, selling it, uh, doing his doing his part. Uh, I, but my favorite thing that he said was, we're going to let our games do the talking. Yeah, for sure. Like, he, he kept it pretty short and sweet and then was just like, we're going to let the games do the talking. And I think... That's what you want in these shows is just games, 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 and let them carry the weight of the conference. You don't want people coming out all the time being like, I want to see games. I want to see gameplay. I want to see trailers. And they did that. And I thought it was a pretty solid way to start the show. Yeah. The one interesting thing to me, and I don't, this isn't a knock by any means. There's just my personal expectations is knowing PlayStation, I was assuming we were going to see a little bit more extended gameplay stuff and we didn't Mm -hmm. get that, which is kind of odd. Um, like I said, not a negative. I still enjoyed a lot of what they showed. It was just to me, I was expecting a little bit more extended stuff. Um, but yeah, it wasn't the case. Um, generally anyways, I will get mm-hmm. into the stuff that did have extended gameplay. Next up, we got Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales. Uh, a lot of questions with this. I kind of want to tackle after we go through everything. 
But well, from we saw, from what we saw, it looks like it's taking place in the same engine, obviously, as the first Spider-Man. You're playing as Miles Morales. I will give props to the designers. He got a glow-up. I always felt he did look a little awkward in Marvel Spider-Man. Uh, his design was not, like, great. Um, but his model in this uh, trailer is different. He looks it, different. It. Uh, I'm curious how much time has passed between, you know, Marvel Spider-Man and then this game. Yeah. Uh, because obviously he knows how to use his powers in this trailer. And in the first Spider-Man, he was just getting his powers. So clearly a period of time has passed and Peter Parker has trained him up to this point. Um, what a way, what a game to open with. Like I, I didn't think they would open if they opened with like a big banner. I thought it was going to be horizon uh, to come out of the gate with a Spider-Man announcement and then t- on top of it, to say it's holiday 2020, essentially a launch window PS5 game is huge. Like, what a game to attach near the launch of your system. And they knew what they were doing, too, because the coloring in the entire trailer was into the Spider-Verse vibes. Like, entirely. Uh, yeah. uh, they knew what they were doing. Um, I, at first, yeah. I was like, is this a Spider-Verse game? What the hell is going on? And then, obviously, you'd notice that it was... Uh, insomniac style but yeah it's incredible there's some clarification stuff i'm still high for it either way i love miles morales i marvel spider-man is my favorite ps4 title um and we'll get into those questions in terms of what exactly it is and all that at the end of the show but like you pointed out what a great thing to open with i mean technically they open with gta 5 but in but terms like of like the first, show the yeah, show yeah, for like yeah. a ps5 a ps5 game at least a first-party game. Like, to come out of the gate with a sh- super strong first-party game that really, at least I wasn't expecting today. Most like people obviously- weren't expecting Spider-Man. They are expecting Horizon uh, and maybe some teases. I mean, I guess some people ex- like possibly thought a tease. I thought at most we would get, like, a logo, right, of, like, uh, maybe, right. like, a tease of, like, Venom or the symbiote or and then, like, the logo. But what, much no, more they're like, here's Spider-Man, and it's out in five to six months. And it's a character people have been wanting to have their own standalone video game for ages. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, next up, Gran Turismo 7. This was also something that was highly rumored to be at the show. Polyphony Digital. I made some notes here. There was a weird silence tutorial part of it after they announced it. It was like this girl named Sarah on like a mini map, uh, which I thought was odd. It gave me Kingdom Hearts trailer vibes a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and then they had the first person... Uh, gameplay pretty extended uh, of a race uh, for Gran Turismo here's the thing just like we'll see with Forza Motorsport Xbox's thing it's the racing showpiece for next gen if you love racing games or just love to see beautiful things on hardware check it out Uh, I'm not a racing guy myself so it really didn't do anything for me outside of like oh this game looks pretty uh, which those racing games are meant to do no date though I was assuming this was going to be a launch title and it still could be but this is kind of a sorry good I was just, Gran Turismo, at least six, had a pretty long development. Like, I'm not surprised. I'm (laughs) surprised, like, there was no date attached. Usually Gran Turismo games get delayed. I'd rather them just be like, look how pretty our cars are. Uh, With Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales, they did give that date a holiday 2020. But going through the rest of the show, it is... Alarming is too strong of a word. That's like a negative connotation. But it was interesting to see that there wasn't a whole lot of dates at all really Mm -hmm. that was surprising and if they obviously no specific dates um 
the closest we get is holiday 2020. Um, nothing, anything beyond that is just a year. Yeah. I mean, the most specific date we got was a third party game. We'll get into very later on, uh, but it's mostly windows. And even at that, some of the biggest games we saw no date period, no nothing. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty interesting stuff. Speaking of one of those games with no date, no nothing, coming out of nowhere, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Uh, you know, every Ratchet and Clank game has its own theme to it. This one is interdimensional adventure. Gives me a lot of Rick and Morty vibes, as well as uh, everyone's favorite mission from Titanfall 2, which was technically like time travel, not interdimensional, but... Uh, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed this. I own the Ratchet and Clank like soft reboot. I haven't played it yet. I need to get to playing it's, it because obviously everyone enjoys it. It's like a Pixar movie. It's it's a great just three D character platformer. You know, it's just captures that energy so well. It's fun. It's it's not super long. I'm super stoked to play another one of these games. They normally don't they normally go with like butt jokes for the titles for the subtitles of these games. Um, definitely on the PS2 era, there was like Up Your Arsenal and, um, Going Commando. Uh, I think on the PS3, they weren't at, there was like Into the Nexus and, um, there was one, I think a pirate one that may have had booty in the title. (laughs) I don't know. But you know, it's, so yeah, they're usually pretty silly, lighthearted games. I think for the third new, like the third PS5 game in this presentation, for two of them to be from Insomniac speaks a lot to the purchase that Sony made um, yep, back in that investment. Yeah, they are getting a return on it pretty quickly, and I'm, I'm surprised that they have two projects of this scope coming out. You know, they at least have them both announced. Well, and I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised if these were in development before the acquisition because Insomniac's had a working relationship with Sony, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the moment they bought him, it's like, oh, we already have these in development. Instead of it being a partnership, you know, we own you guys now. Uh, beautiful. It, lo- it looks incredible. I think this was one of the best showpieces of the entire presentation for the PS5, in my opinion. It looked gorgeous. There was some frame rate stuff, but, uh, you know, it's with streaming and our presentation. I don't hold that on the game itself. But uh, there was ray tracing on Clank, and there was a lot of other stuff going on where you could see the visual fidelity get boosted by the power of the PS5. And... I'm curious to see how soon after the release of the console this comes out. Um, yeah, it, it, I, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy to think that this PS2 mascot is now brought to the PS5 and is just, you know, just looks that good. You know, just it's it's pretty great. I also found out uh, that yes, there was uh, a Ratchet and Clank game called Quest for Booty. Quest for Booty, nice. 2008 uh, PS3 game. So going into this presentation, there was a four horsemen of the mascot apocalypse that I wanted to see. There was Ratchet and Clank, which I'm counting uh-huh. as one. There was Spyro, there was Crash, and there was Sly Cooper. At least we got Ratchet. We didn't get the other three. You're uh, poor Sly. Yeah. Poor Sly. Poor Sly. I mean, I'm. I also have a uh, you know a heavy heart for the Jack and Daxter series, but I don't think they'll ever return to unfortunately. But at least we got Ratchet and Clank. Um, we also didn't, you know, we talked about the investment for Insomniac. They do a lot of PSVR stuff too, so I'm intrigued to see if there ever is a PSVR two, or if they remarket the PSVR for PS five. If Insomniac also has something really interesting for that as well, we'll see. Um, next up, Project Athea. So this is like a fantasy elemental female uh, protagonist title. 
Um, gave me a lot of Square Enix vibes because uh, it is Square Enix. It's Luminous Productions, which is one of their side studios. Uh, something that came out after the presentation was that the writing team for this project is led by Gary Whitta. And if you don't know who that is, he wrote Book of Eli, uh, Star Wars Rogue One, a bunch of other stuff. He has a really good book called Abomination. And he was teasing something yesterday, and people thought it was Star Wars related. Turns out it's not. Um, it definitely on Square Enix to call something Project Something instead of it's. A, I wonder I if this say, title it's a typical. Be <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much a t- typical Square Enix reveal. They it'll this game will come out in about ten years. Um, it'll be nothing like what it looked like now. It'll be broken into seven different parts. It's the, yeah. It, uh, it's the pretty. optimism I have, though, is Gary Whitta leading the writing team because I personally enjoy his writing. Obviously, he doesn't nail everything. No writer does. Um, but the one he hits, he hits. And I'm excited to see a Square Enix project by a Japanese developer written by what seems led by a, an American or Western writer. Yeah. Uh, I want to see how that clashes and comes together because it could be really, really nice. Because one that of my barriers be a lot of times with Japanese games is... Uh, the cultural differences in the writing, and obviously a lot of that gets lost in localization, right? So I want to see how that comes together. Uh, you know, an Eastern developer and a Western writing team. I'd assume mostly Western writing team. Who knows? Gary Wood might have brought on some Japanese writers as well. I have no idea. Uh, that has no date as well. Um, we don't know when that's coming. Hopefully we get a title in the next five years, Max. <laughs> an Hopefully. actual title. Uh, next up, this one was odd. This one, I thought this was going to be one thing. And then at the very end, you're like, nope, this is something else. Uh, Stray. It's a trailer that started off with a bunch of robots that look like they were from the movie Chappie. Uh, and they're walking around, you know, living the sad robot life in the slums. And there's a cat chilling, hanging out with this robot. And the assumption is, okay, this is a game focused on the robots. And it's like a living world with animals and pets as well. So they're very, you know, humanistic. Uh, and then at the very end of the trailer or towards the end, you start following specifically the cat and moving away from the robots. And then it focuses on the cat, focuses on the cat. And then he perches up on a thing. And then you see the title called stray. So I haven't looked into this game anymore, Max, but my assumption is you play as the cat and not the robots, which is interesting. It could be, I don't know. This is, this is kind of one of the first games of the show that was like, that's a game I probably won't end up playing, but it looks cool. Like visually, it's just the style is interesting. Yeah, I'm like if you play as a cat, that is an interesting angle. Uh, if you match that with uh, a cool gameplay loop and maybe an introductory price that isn't too staggering, you could get some people in the door. Um, I just give them props because to have a trailer that leads you to believing one thing and then it turns into something else. I'm like, oh, you're playing as a cat, and the focus isn't on the robots. Because at the Psych. beginning of the trailer, is so focused on the robots. I was like, oh. Sorry, were you going to say something? No, I just said psych earlier. That was it. Uh-oh. I did. <laughs> uh, next up, we had a feature montage, uh, which was followed by Herman Hulse pitching the PS5. And some of those features were the, uh, the 4K... Uh, sorry, got something in my chest. Oh, I'm getting choked up about this. The 4K <laughs> Ultra Blu-ray... Uh, disc drive, uh, and a lot of the other stuff we've heard about from the PlayStation, the 3D audio, uh, the haptic feedback, the adaptive triggers, you know, everything we've seen in the Wired articles and other presentations, they did a nice, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about it shortly after the presentation, Max, but there were these weird interstitials that they did uh, in between. Yeah, and they kept teasing 
very subtly the design of the console. It was they really were beefing up the uh, the sacred symbols as they're called. You know the the circle, square, triangle, and uh, X or cross, depending on where you fall on that line. We say X in this household, Max. <laughs> this is an X household. The um, correct answer. Yeah. Uh, God, the conversation we had when that whole thing was a discussion was very funny. Um, yeah, so I don't want to kind of go through those features because we've talked about them before when they were initially revealed. But if you're curious about that stuff, go check it out. It's featured in the press release by Sony uh, going into that stuff once again. Uh, next up, we had where are we at here? Do, 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 do. Lost my place. Returnal. So we've been hearing rumblings about Housemark and that their next game wasn't going to be that weird battle royale they were trying to make after leaving the arcade space. But they were working on a AAA game, their first foray into AAA, and it was going to be a PS5 exclusive. And that's what Returnal is. It's a time loop sci-fi game, a third-person shooter. Uh, no date on this one either. I like Housemark. What I will say is you can definitely tell, for better or worse, that this is their first foray into a game of this scope. Uh, it looked nice a lot of the time, but it also looked a little rough. Um, I don't know if you felt the same way, Max, if you saw a little I, bit of the, the tears in the seams of this. I I agree. I think having no date gives them, obviously, an opportunity for polish. All of this is arguably early footage uh, for a console that's not out yet. I wonder when Sony's just going to buy them. Like, yeah. at this point, <laughs> like let's just you know go ahead and buy Housemark. Um, they made quite a few games for the PS4, in particular Resogun and Nex Machina, I think, are some of their finest games. Those are their arcadey games, and uh, it is a shame that they've left that genre entirely, like they're just done with it, uh, because they were some of the best at it. So I'm curious, but not eager to play this one. Yeah, the the premise of it is interesting. It's that you know we've, we're seeing this in pop culture generally now is the the time loop, a uh, time loop, right? Uh, you know, something happens and you relive it over and over again. Um, if it's done right, it could be really immersive. But uh, yeah, I want to see more of this game. It has it's piqued my interest, uh, and I, I do think Housemark has a high quality benchmark. Uh, I just don't know how that's gonna translate to the triple a space in a game of this magnitude they might have some growing pains uh but we'll see next up uh Sackboy, a big adventure a game no one probably saw coming this is being developed by sumo digital it's a 3d platformer uh with obviously the little big planet aesthetic no date on this one either it gave me a lot of obviously classic little big planet vibes but i also it felt reminiscent of the the modern Yoshi games, uh, Wooly World and Crafted. What was the other one? Crafted. Um, Crafted World, I think. And what's the other? Is Wooly Wooly something? Wooly, I think it's Wooly World and Crafted. And World. Crafted World. Okay, yeah. I think uh, they both have World in the title. I think. <laughs> yeah, that's why I was like, I was like, do they both have World? I wasn't sure about it, but this game looks cute. Um, very family oriented. Obviously, they yeah. go into it too much in terms of customization, but that's one thing I loved with Little Big Planet is. I can make Sackboy look however I wanted him to, and I wonder if that's going to be something they talk about more as we learn more about the release date of this game and the specifics of it is uh, multiplayer, can you make your Sackboy look very specific? Can you create stuff for him? Uh, do you think, you know, with them returning with this instead of an actual Little Big Planet game, do you think it's a smart move and people are kind of over Little Big Planet, but they still want to take advantage of the namesake of Sackboy? I, I think calling it Sackboy is 
the answer to that. It <laughs> Sackboy is like the mascot of one of you know the mascots of PlayStation. He's pretty cute, and I think if you put a sticker of him around somewhere, most people will know at least kind of what he is. Like you know, he's identifiable. Um, I think making it a 3D platformer is a really smart, cool step. I'm curious if it is going to be more of a open 3D platformer where, um, you know, think uh, Super Mario Odyssey, like where it's a world and like a space and you're going around exploring and collecting things, um, or or like Super Lucky Tales, or is it level-based like uh, Super Mario 3D World, you know, where I'm going and doing this level, but it's a 3D platformer within this space and I'm following these rules. I feel like it's 3D World in that sense, like it's just trunked up levels, and I wonder... Will there be any level creation? Can the community make their own 3D levels? That'd be interesting. Um, I don't know. But I think it's smart of them to lean into the Sackboy side of the Little Big Planet brand. Uh, and I think it's great to have a, another kid-oriented, family-friendly co-op style game. Like This is accessible for, you know, it widens their library for the PlayStation to make it a more accessible console for family, you know, for everyone in the family to play. Also, I think when people saw this, they were like, oh, there's no chance we're seeing Knack. Thank God. <laughs> Where they're, they're is Knack 3, right? Mark Cerny? <laughs> uh, Mark Cerny shed a tear. He's like, I don't get Knack. At least I'll get those ear pictures from people that I asked for. Um, next up, we have Destruction All-Stars, which is very weird. Uh, it's Destructive Bumper Car Multiplayer. Uh, developed by Lucid. No date on this. I, <laughs> I I would be pretty hesitant to use the word All-Stars in a PlayStation It's the long-awaited sequel to PlayStation <laughs> All-Stars Battle Royale. This, to me, strikes uh, as something that might be interesting for, like, a weekend. I don't know if it'll have legs. Didn't really do anything for me. Um, it but just looked silly. Yeah, it's a silly little fun game. It, it is part of the diversity of this presentation, which I appreciate. Is it isn't you know a lot of times people have the uh, this you know PlayStation has God of War itis, where everything kind of is a third person action adventure game over the shoulder, yada yada yada. Um, but you know, got to give props. This presentation was very diverse in terms of the type of games and the scope of them as well. And though Destruction All Stars maybe didn't speak to us. Uh, there's probably somebody out there who's like, oh, cool. I've always wanted a bumper car destruction multiplayer game, you know? So mm -hmm. it's really cool. Uh, next up, Kenna Bridge of Spirits. This is developed by Ember Lab. An action-adventure game. Uh, gorgeous art. To me, it resembled maybe PlayStation's foray into Cameo, if you remember that Xbox title. Um, it's the you know, it's a little familiar. Yeah, it, it was a game where you played as a girl who had like elemental powers, and she was a you know very like tiny girl with, uh, it was you know third person, it, very similar to this. Kenna is obviously miles ahead in terms of uh, the approach to the art and the aesthetic of the game overall. Uh, I thought it looked cool. I'm interested to see with the scope of this one as well. It could definitely be a smaller title. Um, I could definitely see this being something that catches on maybe through PlayStation Plus. Uh, that one wasn't named exclusive either, so we could see that come to Xbox as well. And if that's the case, I'd love to pick it up maybe when it gets into Game Pass. Uh, it also gave me... <laughs> this is going to be a weird callback, Max. I don't know if you're going to know what I'm talking about. Do you remember the cartoon in the video games where it was a little 
like tribal kid named Juju or something like that. Tack Tack and the power of Juju. Yeah, Tack and the power of Juju definitely gave me those vibes as well. Uh, yeah, thank you for remembering that. I didn't know if you would, you would know that. I do. That. My brother, my brother loved those games. Um, the animation is beautiful. I, I, I when the the two brothers came up and said that they had a history and animation was kind of their forefront. Oh, uh, that definitely it. showed. Yeah, in the presentation, looks extremely well done. I, I hope it pans out. You know, like the final product holds up from what it was presented today. Uh, but it looks very cute, very charming. Um, and the music was very reminiscent of Ori, by the way. The, I did. I was getting I was getting Ori vibes from it um, instead of cameo. Uh, or yeah, I, I I was getting Ori vibes, but like a three D character platformer. Uh, next up, speaking to the diversity of this uh, reveal event, we had Good Ball, a uh, Goodbye Volcano High, uh, which is by Co-op, which is K O underscore O P. Uh, I wrote down Life is Strange about dinosaurs. <laughs> my uh, my vibe of the game was so co-op is the developers of Celeste. Like that's uh, Matt makes games turned into co-op. Yeah, I, right. Yes, I think now I'm confused. Or did co-op I'll look make... it up. I'll look it up. Okay, my impression was it was them, but now suddenly live on the podcast, I am doubting it. And maybe co-op did. Laura Croft goes mere dlc who knows either way the game itself striked me as um kind of undertale vibes like those characters in that world and just the way they were acting um and then i was thinking at the time celeste so maybe the narrative of celeste huh so they did do the expansion for laura croft go it isn't the celeste darn it okay well then at least i remembered live on the show um but yeah, so that it's interesting. I I did get Undertale vibes of just like that high school, but monsters vibe. You know, like oh, we are monsters and we have feelings too. Um, so I'm interested. It's it was a, probably the weirdest game I saw. Not uh, my kind of game. Uh, to clarify, um, Matt makes games. A new studio is called Extreme. Is it is called Extremely Okay Games. <sighs> okay. <laughs> we man we had a whole conversation about because when celeste came out amazing game obviously we loved it We're like, how dumb is the name matt makes games and then he, they changed the studio name to uh what was it what did i just say extremely, extremely okay, games. okay. And i'm like i get it but like you guys are so good i wanted you guys to have like a i don't know a better name i don't know by my thought behind that was the was their logo is ex okay and so i saw <laughs> K-O-O-P, uh, and I was like, ah, it's four it's four letters. It's definitely those guys. Uh, so Goodbye Volcano High, you, obviously you you had your take on it. For me, I'm interested in this. This is the type of game that, like, if I hear enough buzz about it when it releases, I'm going to hop in. It's, like, weird to the point where it's, like, interesting to me, but not weird to the point where I feel like I don't want to play it. You know what I mean? Like, too weird. Mm-hmm. Uh very unique. I will give it that. Um, I we didn't get a huge glimpse of the gameplay, so I don't know if it's going to be like decision based or if it's a dating sim or if it's I don't know. I just want to see more of that game in general. Uh, next up, we had Oddworld Soulstorm. Obviously, Lauren Lining is behind this, the man behind Oddworld. Uh, what I wrote down is Oddworld with a budget. Uh, <laughs> maybe not a huge budget, but a budget. Uh, no date on this one either. Uh, I've never been an Oddworld guy. I've never understood the the <laughs> the cachet behind it and the love of it. Um, but hey, man, the thing I will respect is 
Lauren Lining obviously loves that franchise he created and he has a passion for it. And as somebody who is very creative in my own right, I want, you know, you want people who have these creative ideas to be able to have an outlet for it and the backing. So props to him for being able to turn a seemingly weird idea into this franchise that's gone on for so long. And now to be a part of, you know, next generation console launch is really cool. Uh, anything to mention on Oddworld Soulstorm, uh, Max? No, I was like you. I'm not a big. I've never played Oddworld, but I saw it and was like, "Yep, good for them. They get to do." It looked darker than I would have thought. It looked pretty intense. Um, I always got the impression those were very silly games. Um, granted, there was still some humor in it, but it, it seemed pretty dark. Yeah, it seemed like it's going a totally different direction, like a more mature direction. We'll see how it pans out. Uh, Ghostwire Tokyo. We got the first gameplay. Uh, Tango Gameworks, obviously. This is coming out 2021. This game was originally revealed last year at E3 uh, by... I forget her first Bethes- name. Nakamura. Oh, yes. I was going to say it's a Bethesda conference. The, no, the female developer and producer who kind of took E3 by storm. People fell in love with her. She since left the project as a lead. Um, and we hadn't seen much about it. There's actually rumblings that this game might have gotten canned after her departure. Of like The reason she left was because the project was and not doing so well. Um, but we got some gameplay. Really interesting stuff. What I'll say is I was under the impression this game was going to be a lot more survival horror focused, and it seems like it's a lot more action horror and a lot faster than I anticipated. Um, it gave me Bioshock vibes. Like supernatural yeah. Bioshock. Yeah, and it's a weird thing to me. Like I don't think the game showed poorly, but for my personal interest, I definitely lost interest in it. I was... When it was initially revealed, I was like, oh, this looks cool. It might be something I'm into. I like horror. And now that I see it, it's definitely not the gameplay I was expecting or wanted. And they might be able to get me back. But uh, it is a huge deal for PlayStation to get this. Because for the longest time, Bethesda's had a strong relationship with Xbox, right? We always see Elder Scrolls on Xbox's stage. We see Fallout. And this is something we might get into later uh, when we talk about the specifics of Ghostwire and the other Bethesda game in the show. Um, but obviously PlayStation paid a pretty penny with Bethesda to get these things on their, on their, uh, presentation. Ghostwire Tokyo, were you already interested? How did this gameplay shake out for you in terms of your interest moving forward? I, I wasn't interested in it. It didn't, it didn't strike me as my kind of game last year at E3. Um, and today kind of just further solidified that. It just, it looks interesting, but not my speed. Yeah. Uh, we're not the. I don't think we're the target demographic on this one. Um, next up, Jet the the Far Shore, which is developed by the Super Brothers. Holiday twenty twenty release date. This one is kind of unclear of what it is either. It starts off as a very like I don't even know the art style. Um, it's like uh, what's Jesus Christ? I'm having a brain fart. Sep- like sepia toned art, and then it slowly mm-hmm. morphs into what looks to be like a simulation civilization type style game where you're watching this planet evolve over the course of time they didn't really give gameplay they just showed like time passing and things changing there was a giant sea monster in the water as you were like in a ship and then it was a stone like statue and ground um i want to know more about that i just don't understand what that game is is it like you're you're black and white or some other type of like simulation civilization style title. I don't know. I I got No Man's Sky uh, vibes as well as Below from Cappy Games Eyes, Cappy Bar Games. 
Um, oh, okay. Those two kind of came together for me when I was watching this game, but you're right in the sense of I don't really know what it is, uh, so I'm <laughs> curious, but its presentation was unique. Yeah. Uh, Jet the Far Shore is interesting, too. Like, is Jet the name of the ship? Is it the name of, like, the colony? Is it the name of the person? Uh, Who knows? It has a, to have a subtitle, it's very odd. Unless there's, like, a Jet franchise we don't know about, Max. And, like, this is uh, the newest title in the Jet series. Uh, there's 20 knows? games. It's been out <laughs> forever. Yeah. Uh, Godfall. This is a game I expected to see here. It was the first PS5 title we had ever seen. It was at Game Awards last year. Um, it's a PS5 uh, exclusive, but I've seen stories where it says it's a launch exclusive. It, I have no idea. It sure does look like a free <laughs> polluter shooter. Like, you know, it just strikes me as that. I feel like this game will not be around for long. It's if that's, uh, if that's a terrible thing. To, if it's it rice feels, in a room. Pretty much. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel like this is going to be quickly fade. Into the background, um, I had I think it had like a dubstepy rap music to the trail. Like there was nothing about this presentation, this part of the presentation that. Uh, Don't got you think me the gameplay looked like worse than from what the reveal kind of painted it as? I honestly don't even remember the reveal. All I remember was a logo. So, well, the reveal had like the dude in like lion armor, and there was like a brief snippet of like going to gameplay and then it cut off and then we had the leak of the gameplay on twitter uh, mm. and they're like oh this isn't the fin- finished product and like today's gameplay here's the thing <laughs> i'm very much an entitled Soulsborn gamer right mm. uh, i love from software they nail combat for me better than anybody in terms of melee combat so whenever i oh. see stuff that isn't up to that level i'm highly critical likely over critical to a point and yeah, to me, for this game, focusing on its big thing is looter, uh, slasher. I didn't see much of the slashing that seemed intuitive, and the looting didn't look interesting either. So like, you kind of lost me on both of those roads. And to your point, this is these are the type of launch titles we expect. <laughs> unfortunately, a lot of the time, mm-hmm. the ones that aren't going to be there for you know by the end of the PS5's life cycle, are people going to remember Godfall? You know. Uh, are people going to remember Godfall six months after the PS5's launch? Oof, shots fired. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I, I want to see what PlayStation, what the deal was with Gearbox publishing. Of like, what were the numbers like to get this as a launch exclusive, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, very interesting. Because for all of the big money they spend, there's some smaller deals they get in place. Of like, PlayStation knows this isn't going to be gangbusters. It's not going to move units. They want this to fill out the portfolio so people have stuff to play, right? We'll see what happens with Godfall. Uh, next up, this game was developed by Heart Machine, who are the developers of Hyper Light Drifter, the indie darling, uh, published by Annapurna. Uh, much like in the movie space, you know, there's going to be something interesting if Annapurna is involved. This game's coming out 2021. It's called Solar Ash. So forgive me if I'm incorrect, but Hyper Light Drifter was a male character, right? It was like a dude. I have not played the game, but my understanding based off the concept art and gameplay and trailers I've seen, it was a male, yes. And obviously this game has a female lead, or what seems to be a female lead anyways. I'm unclear. I haven't played Hyper Light Drifter either, so we're walking in a, in a space where we know nothing, Max. Uh, I want to hear from people who have played Hyper Light Drifter, their theories on this. Like, is this connected to Hyper Light Drifter? Is this a character that was in Hyper Light Drifter? Is this part of the lore? 
is this like a spiritual sequel? Um, so we're waiting on Silk Song, right? The follow-up that was going to be DLC, but now is a follow-up to Hollow Knight. And mm-hmm. that character was in Hollow Knight. People who didn't play Hollow Knight probably wouldn't know that. I mean, the art style is similar, but so is the Solar Ash and Hyperlight Drifter. As somebody who's ignorant to Hyperlight Drifter and Heart Machine in general, I just want to know the connection because that could pique my interest even more. If this is connected, then that gives me an even stronger desire to play Hyperlight Drifter, not only because it was so lauded for how high quality it was, but now I know that there's a sequel that's going to tie into it, right? There's more there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to know if, you know, I'll, I'll look up some videos of the people, Hyperlight Drifter fans reacting to this and see what their opinions are because, you know, the people who are invested in these games are the ones who have some of the best reactions. You know, our reaction to this isn't going to be super crazy because we have <laughs> we have no idea what Hyperlight Drifter is exactly, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Next up, this is the most definitive release date we got the entire show. Hitman 3 by IO Interactive coming out January 2021. Uh, the tag, the marketing tag for this game is Death Awaits. When they showed Agent 47 on the Dubai Tower, Max, I was like, this is incredible. This looks insane with the like the fog and the lighting and everything. I was like, oh, yeah. Lord. Uh, this is also coming it- Xbox Series X. I can't wait to see what this looks like. Like, if Dubai is what they're showing off, you you have to imagine there's something else that they're saving in their bag, right? IO Interactive is. They have to. Yeah. Incredible, it, though. <laughs> I, also, just really what an incredible turnaround for the Hitman series, you know, ever since Hitman Season 1 launched um, a few years ago, and then, you know, Hitman 2, and now what apparently is the conclusion of the Hitman trilogy here for them Um what a turnaround what just a fantastic series super excited to see where they go with hitman 3 who would have thought that they would have been on the ps5 reveal event stage after wb dropped them you know such a great turnaround um for them to go independent and be able to still do this stuff it's incredible and yeah like you said this is the end to their trilogy i wonder if that means they might go somewhere else and take a break from hitman and try a new IP maybe now that they're independent and they can kind of forge their own destiny and then return to Hitman later. We'll see what happens. But yeah, Hitman 3 looked incredible. That Dubai sequence is gorgeous. Uh, next up, one of these weird interstitials we talked about, they had the PS5 startup, uh, which is odd. I don't know if you remember that. It was like I the did, safety warning. The safety warning popped up. <laughs> and I was like, what? what? Did someone like, Is this was this interjected at the wrong point? I thought for a whole second, like once I realized what it was, I thought they were just going to go into the UI. Like same, I was like, are they are ah. they going to the uh, the UI? How dope would it have been, Max? So they went into the UI, they scrolled over, they're going through stuff. You're looking at, oh, this is where this is, yeah, yeah, whatever. You're you know awesome that you're seeing the brand new UI, but they just like go, hover over to like Horizon Two, which we'll get into a little bit, and they just click on it, and then the you know the presentation that would have been dope. That would have been really hot. That would been yeah. But that, not, alas, so they just kind of gave us a chime and the safety <laughs> precautions and then uh, kicked it off to the next thing. Uh, speaking of the next thing, Astrobot Playroom. So this is a 3D platformer featuring Astrobot, uh, developed by Japan Studio. Had no date on it, but after the presentation, we had found out, uh, you found out, that it's going to be pre-installed on all PS5 consoles? That That is what Wario64 said on Twitter. Um it's not unlike having the Playroom installed on PS4s when that came out that worked with the PlayStation camera 
And then when PSVR came out, there was an Astrobot like VR playroom, and then obviously Astrobot Rescue Mission, which was a VR exclusive. So it makes sense for them to kind of make another one and just install it with the system. It's just a cute light. Well, on the PS4, it was a cute light, small interactive game that just let you kind of play around with the technology of the PS4, you know, with the camera and the light bar and things like that. I'm not sure how deep the Astrobot playroom for PS5 is. Um, if this is a full-fledged game like uh, Rescue Mission, or if this is something lighter like the original Playroom on the uh, PlayStation 4. Weird that they had no date, because you'd assume if it, was, if it is pre-installed, they could have just said Holiday 2020, right? Yeah, you could have. I was going to say, they, I mean, they wouldn't give a date because they didn't give a date for the console, but they could have said Holiday. Um, interesting, I suppose. I don't know we'll we'll see i don't they're being very cagey about the price and the date for obvious reasons so <laughs> yeah weird uh next up little devil inside this is by neostream uh the art style seems similar to ashen if you're familiar with that game action adventure uh i got osmosis jones vibes from this game because they were cutting between this old man and then this adventure game that's taking place seemingly inside this old man's body. And that's why the game is called Little Devil Inside, because the character that's in the fantasy setting is playing inside of this old man's body. Um, no date on this game. I thought the art style was really cool. Gameplay-wise, it wasn't clear exactly what this game was entirely. Like, I don't know if this was a, a walking sim adventure style game where there's not a lot of interactivity or if you're cutting between the two and when you're in the inside segments, it is more of like a platformer or open action adventure game. Um, what did you think of Little Devil Inside? Did, did the jokes get you? Did the, you the, know, the gameplay style get you? The, the gameplay, not so much. But that one joke where it cut from him dropping a bomb <laughs> down into a monster and then it cut to the old man uh, pooping on a toilet. That got a really good chuckle out of me. That was probably the funniest part of this presentation. I thought it was very clever cut on their part it seems cute i you know it's just kind of one of those games you really got to see more of to get me to draw you know be drawn into it but i thought its presentation was the cutest and one of the funniest of the show yeah and once again this wasn't uh labeled as exclusive or anything so we could possibly see it coming at the same time to the xbox series x which is cool um just like with the xbox presentation of all those third-party games it's awesome for people who may not be going into that platform to see these third-party titles um because they're going to be available for you as well hopefully uh next up we got the look at nba 2k 21 a slight teaser so much sweat i love with sports games the next generation hardware that it's always a focus on the sweat right the sweat technology it's car video games and you know how shiny and like beautiful the cars are and then how sweaty can an athlete be are the (laughs) two next gen proving grounds for technology Fall 2020, we obviously know 2K comes out every year. Uh, the interesting thing here for fans of sports is that Zion is seemingly the cover athlete, which is odd considering he's only played about 20 games in the NBA. Extremely popular phenom in the basketball world, but it is odd. It strikes me of, for any of you football fans out there, when Vince Young won Rookie of the Year for the Titans, got the Madden cover, and then disappeared from the NFL. So uh, hopefully it doesn't go that way for Zion Williamson. But it is always odd when there's such a young player with not a whole lot of professional experience behind them to get the cover. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just odd. But cool that there's a sports game here, like we said, hitting all of those boxes for the interests of the viewers. Next up, 
super weird from the uh, creators of Octodad, which I actually missed the developer's name. Let me see if I can pull it up here. Uh, Young Horses, <laughs> of course. That's the yes. name of the developer. Uh, Bug Snacks, which it, I described here in my notes as a living food family game. It's coming out holiday 2020. The gameplay was unclear, but like the comedy and tone of it was pretty clear of like there's these bugs in the world that are made up of either food or like fruits. They, uh, yeah. And, and the people who live on this island, if they eat them, they get that part. So at the beginning of the trailer, this little cat explorer person that's supposed to be like the crocodile hunter eats this straw, this living strawberry with eyes. And then its hand turns into strawberries. Um Looks cute. I have no idea what the hell the gameplay is. <laughs> and started singing about like how you are what you eat. Um, <laughs> yeah. And there were like you know bugs that looked like ribs and burgers and all sorts of stuff. So it was very silly. It is definitely something you could see the people that made Octodad cooking up. It reminds me of uh, what's that VR game from the Rick and Morty guys? Tro- Trover saves the universe. Yeah. Like that, but a lot more family friendly and friendly and cutesy. Uh, and at the end, it teased like a weird bug snacks Frankenstein's monster thing mm-hmm. <laughs> that rushed the camera. Looks cute. Uh, definitely can see the Octo Dad influence there. Uh, next up, we got a couple of big boys in a. Actually, we got quite a bit a, a number of big boys in a row. It's, yeah. First up, we have the Demon Souls remake. The if Fable if Fable by Playground Games didn't exist, this would be the biggest open secret in video games. Uh, Blue Point Games was rumored to be working on this forever. We finally saw it. Uh, they worked in collaboration with Japan Studio. Game looks incredible. We've seen side by side comparisons now to the original. Um, looks amazing. The one question here is a lot of people assume this might be Sony's big launch title, right? Because a lot of their first parties are working on stuff like what's going to be their big launch title for PS5. And this didn't get a date, which is kind of surprising to me because I was under the assumption that this would at least hit like launch window. It would at least hit 2020 for PS5 um, because Bluepoint has been working on this for so long. Um, it is kind of surprising to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you feel about the reveal of this in general and... Is it surprising to you that it didn't have a date? As far as the game itself, like its reveal, um, I am not a big Souls person. Never really yeah. played them. I've played, I've killed the cleric, cleric beast. I don't know. And um, Bloodborne, the first boss, and that's about as far as I've gotten in any Souls game. Um, I am, in particular, though, just excited that this game is being remade, re-released in some form because it is locked to the PS3. And so I think that's really great that it's coming to another platform that are will be probably sell better. At least the game will sell better now that the Souls kind of action genre is so beloved and this kind of kicked it off. So I'm I'm happy for that community and this game in particular. As far as a date, I'm you know maybe Sony didn't want to give dates for everything yet. They wanted things to be a bit more locked in internally before and now i don't know really like four I just, months from release though that's a thing yeah i don't so maybe it needs you know obviously it needs some more time and they just don't want to give a date yet for it yeah i think we're we'll get into these next couple of games as well but i am now under the assumption that and I, there's a whole conversation of do they even need it because obviously the ps4 didn't need it but we're probably just not going to have a big 
launch t- like a huge launch title first party for PS5, you know? Um, and that's going to be interesting because Xbox is in a place where they're going to have Halo Infinite, but then there's the argument of like, well, it's also coming out on Xbox One. So does that drive value to buy the Xbox Series X? But then for PlayStation, we might be in a place where they don't have a large exclusive at launch, then what's the point of buying the PlayStation 5? You know what I mean? It's like this weird argument of back and forth that they're approaching things differently, but they might both have the same problem, you know? Yeah, Uh, it's different. They got to the same spot by going different ways. It's too too early to say for both of them, though. I mean... Yeah, for sure. Eventually, both companies will come out and say, on day one, you can buy and play these games. And sure... um, Xbox in particular is the one I think of like they will come out and say you can play thousands of games on your Xbox Series X day one and which is true from not only the Xbox One library but through their backward compatibility program with 360 and the original Xbox and that is an incredible value for any consumer it is it is a box that can essentially play the entire Xbox catalog like legacy of hardware granted not every game uh Where's Max Payne 3, for example? Come on, please. Um, But that's incredible. And so that messaging, maybe being able to play older games, even just Xbox One and for the PS5, PS4 games, maybe just being able to play those is enough to kind of pad the beginning of these consoles. It's Yeah, like selling selling the value of your already owned library as opposed to a stellar launch with a bunch of games, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not always, like, the thing you want. You always want, like, big, new, exciting games that can only be played on your new box. Uh, but it might help in the long run of things. Uh, yeah, for sure. Next up, we had Deathloop. Obviously, this is Arcane Studios game that was announced last year at E3. We got the first gameplay of it. Uh, people were questioning whether or not this was going to have the immersive sim flavor of the Arcane titles, right, like Dishonored. Definitely mm-hmm. does. Um, obviously, has the time loop aspect of it. No date. They did tease at the end the second protagonist or antagonist, depending on who you are, I guess. Um, it's interesting because they didn't pitch it as like a co-op experience or a versus experience to me. And I can be completely wrong on this. And you might not know about this because you've said you're not really a Souls person. But in the Souls games, they have this system in which you can get invaded, right? So if you decide to play mm-hmm. online, people can invade you. And by killing them, you can get rewards. And if they kill you, they're just being a dick. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like uh, like immersive, uh, fluid multiplayer in that game. I wonder if that's what this is going to be like, where you can decide whether or not you want human players to be able to enter your game as that opposing assassin. You know what I mean? Like, how does that work specifically? Because at the end of it, it seemed like somebody jumped in and then did it. But through the rest of the trailer, it didn't seem like you're always facing another human. You know? So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how exactly that plays out. Um, right. But it's arcane is a weird studio because I have a lot of respect for them. I've never really played any of their games cause they've never really spoken to me. Um, and I want to see how Deathloop does because dishonored were very high quality games. But from what it seems like with Bethesda is that they didn't move numbers that well. So right. maybe the movement from uh, stealth focus to, uh, fluid action combat with this cool hook of time loops could do the thing and time uh, death loop could be their uh their hit maybe i it, it strikes me as an interesting game like it has an interesting concept i wasn't actually 
I was more into the art of the presentation, like the cuts and animations and logos and things like that, like that 60s kind of spy vibe of it, um, more than the actual art of the game itself and like the way it looked visually. I, I think that would have been maybe more cool to lean into. I also feel like it had a totally different vibe and maybe I'm remembering the E3 reveal much differently, but I thought the E3 reveal looked far more realistic, far more, like, not cartoony. I, maybe I'm yeah, remembering I, it wrong, but no, it just... No, I'm with you. I'm with you. It was pitched a lot more as, like, a realistic uh, style to the game, and this one feels a lot more like Dishonored or, uh, like, a Team Fortressy or, like, this yeah, weird, just, like... Yeah. Something's <laughs> happened in the the visual design of this game, and that nothing wrong with that, but it's just... This is not what I remember the reveal being like, so I'm, I don't know. Uh, next up, we had Resident Evil, <clears throat> excuse me, Village, which is Resident Evil, Resident Evil Eight. Uh, the rumors seem to hold true. Uh, we saw Chris in the trailer, uh, very Transylvania. Uh, There's werewolves. Um, there was a tweet I wanted to read real quick by, who was it by? I think it was Nibel. Yeah, so here's some information on it via the developers. It's based on the newest version of the RE engine. Uh, it's a bit more action-oriented than 7. No load times. Takes place years after 7, and you play as Ethan from 7. New inventory, and uh, they revealed the second key art for it as well, if you want to check that out via Nebelian's Twitter account. Uh, this looks cool. Um, I liked Resident Evil 7 quite a bit. Uh, I'm interested to see the bit more action oriented can be alarming for resident evil fans depending on how much they lean into that because obviously mm-hmm. that's kind of the downfall for a lot of people with the series moving away from its horror elements i i'm not tired of zombies at this point but there's very few games where we get to hunt werewolves max and if you're telling me that i get to hunt werewolves in this resident evil game i'm pretty excited about that i am very pumped for this game. I hope there is some form of VR support because Resident Evil 7 in VR on PlayStation is great. It just it has that good feel to it, and clearly they have the tech for it. So I hope that comes to pass. Um, but this game looks, like, visually very cool. Um, as far as I know, a pretty unique setting to the Resident Evil series. So... I'm all in. I'm very pumped to see this game whenever it comes out. Well, and the rumors were this was supposed to be a spin-off title, and then they liked it so much that they kind of turned it into Resident Evil 8, which is interesting. Um, at the end, too, with Chris killing Ethan's girlfriend, uh, which is kind of odd. Also, poor Chris. That dude looks different in almost every game he's in. <laughs> he gets like a new makeover. Uh, it's the power of the RE engine, and it will make <clears throat> he- you look... I don't know if you saw any of the memes, Max, but it looked like they said it was a cross between Chris and then the dude from Umbrella Academy, like the big guy in the trench coat uh, from that show. It's really funny because he looked like very stocky and huge. 2021 release date, which is interesting. Uh, we might be at a point where we're getting annualized Resident Evil, it seems like. Um, I, I think Capcom is riding that Resident Evil goodwill <clears throat> hard right now. So good on them. Uh, the memes of the people who wanted Silent Hill and didn't get it. Oh, man. Poor them. Uh, these last two games. We have one that there isn't a lot to say about and another one which was really exciting and I think what everyone hoped to see and they did get, which is cool. So the first one is Pragmata. 
<laughs> gave me personally Kojima sci-fi vibes. That's Game's coming what out 2022. I thought. I originally thought this was like some weird Death Stranding spinoff, <laughs> if I'm being honest, because uh, it features this guy in this astronaut uniform with this little girl on this road, and then it seems like there's a break in reality, and then the satellite's coming down, he launches this like sci-fi tube stuff that prevents it from making impact, and then it ends with him and the little girl standing on the moon without her in like space equipment. Very like Japanese, very Kojima, very weird. The fact that this game's coming out in 2022... Is I think it's the late well, a lot of the games we don't have dates for. Like Ratchet and Clank could be 2022 for all we know, but for mm-hmm. them to list it as 2022 is interesting. Not much to say for me. I'm like, okay, this is some weird Japanese stuff. <laughs> all right, <laughs> moving on. Um, yeah, I'm with you I there. I, I I didn't even know who it was from until the very end of it, where at the bottom in the the trademark text it said Capcom. So, you know, it's weird looking. Oh, okay. Sorry. I thought you said it's weird something else, but you said it's weird looking, so I didn't know you had to finish your statement. Uh, (laughs) No, no, you're good. It is weird looking. Uh, So last up, we finally saw Horizon Zero Dawn 2, though it's not called that. It is, from what I saw, Horizon 2 Forbidden West. Is that correct, Max? I believe so. When I watched the trailer again, I noticed the little two. Yeah. beneath it um which i thought was very clever but yeah like for uh, horizon 2 forbidden west wow so here's the thing one of my favorite things in fantasy period max is the image of the turtle with the island on its back uh mm-hmm. that's why i was like super stoked with detective pikachu because they uh they kind of giganticized the or enlarge the Torterra, so it was like there's a plot point in that movie. I've just always loved that image of like giant turtles with these like living biomes on their back. And when we saw that reveal uh, in the trailer, I was like, oh, what's coming out of the water? What's coming out of the water? It's one of my favorite shots in trailers for stuff. I don't know if you remember the first trailer for Kong Skull Island when the giant bison comes out of the water and it has like all of the Mm-mm. seaweed and stuff on it. Just one of my favorite shots in trailers, and I saw that, and I was like, please tell me it's a robot turtle. Please tell me it's a robot turtle. <laughs> and it was. I was stoked. My other note was, obviously, the trailer ends with what reminds me of Lord of the Rings with the mammoth battle yep. uh, with these people. Ellie So, Font. I want to say real quick, I haven't played Horizon Zero Dawn yet. I own it, Max. I haven't played it yet. I've been meaning to get to it. Obviously, now with this sequel announced, it's going to be moved to the top of my backlog list priority. Um, but I do know a little bit about the game. Uh, and for those who haven't played yet, minor spoilers if you want to avoid them. I know that Lance Riddick's character is kind of like an antagonist at the end of that game. So I'm assuming him in this trailer now is like, oh, he's one of the bads in this follow-up sequel. Um, and from the trailer, it seems like from what I've seen of the first game, there's a bigger focus on like lush jungle green environments and also underwater exploration. I don't know if I could be wrong about that. If that's like new to Horizon Zero Dawn? Um, definitely the underwater. Okay. Brand new. That's all new and looked gorgeous. The forest stuff, it did seem denser. I mean, you explore like forest and the wild. For, yeah, the wilds. In um, Horizon Zero Dawn, that game, super pretty, fun. I, I found the combat to be more shallow than I wanted, but not a knock at all. And I genuinely think it has one of the coolest, most original sci-fi stories that I've ever experienced or read or seen. It's 
it's a great story. So I'm super stoked to see where they take it. Um, it looks like some sort of virus is infecting the earth and kind of um, poisoning crops and animals and people. Almost, just just popped in my head, but almost kind of like Moana from Disney, <laughs> where the, the you know the darkness was corrupting the land and killing the crops and stuff. Like Aloy is out on a journey to end whatever this corruption is on the land. And it appears to be taking place in San Francisco. Um, at least part of it is taking place there. And it's an overgrown San Francisco. So that will be pretty cool to see. Um, Generally, the, where did the first game take place? Um, spoilers, I mean, if you don't mind, um, Colorado is where it okay. took place. Um, right. So Forbidden West kind of makes sense. Like she would, she could go west, southwest to go there but um it took place in colorado if i remember correctly so the only significance to the subtitle forbidden west is that she's going west there's not something like in the game itself where they focus on talking about the west in the first game no yeah i think it's just that she's going west there wasn't okay from what i remember there was no you know you cannot go here none of that it was just i think this is just because she gets to go west no date on this either um which I think is a bummer for a lot of people because I think this is the game people wanted the most to be the launch title, right? To go up against Halo Infinite was Horizon 2. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the game looks incredible. It looks gorgeous. Um, I need to get to playing the first one. Uh, Highly this, recommend it. Yeah, I know. people. So many people recommend it to me. Uh, yeah, so it's really cool. I thought it was a great way to end the show, but guess what? That's not how they ended it. They decided... To do this really slow reveal with like these little tiny beads of the PlayStation 5, the box. This mm. is something I think most people were split on of where we're going to see it, where we're not. Um, I think it was kind of unrealistic to expect a price. That just doesn't make sense this far out because of the economic climate currently. Um, but the box was an interesting 50-50 split. I guess our initial impressions, I'll go first. I don't like it. Uh, that's just my initial impressions. It might grow on me. Um, obviously, when things are different, you're either going to enjoy it or not going to enjoy it. But my biggest gripe with it, so I was looking at images of it, uh, Max, and I find the discless version to be more visually appealing than the disc version because on the discless version, it doesn't have that weird hump on the side. I don't know yeah, if you've noticed I, that. There's no, like absolutely. I mean... When you when you look at the two next to each other, the discless version um, is symmetrical. It, down the middle, you could cut it in half, and it would be the same on both halves. It looks visually more appealing, um, but I want my disc. So yeah. Um, the other thing that I've noticed, I really think that Sony and Microsoft want us to stand these boys vertically. They both are are able to be stacked horizontally. But yes. from the designs, they look like they had vertical in mind first. And they're like, okay, we'll also make it possible to have them horizontal. Um, totally. From what I've seen of the horizontal images of the PS5, I think it looks worse horizontally than it does vertically. Just because of the weird angles of the like the, the white shell parts of its like trench coat. I don't know. Well, it, just, it, it doesn't have an interesting I, silhouette to me. I agree on the... Like, putting it horizontal i also think that the official pictures of it on its side are not flattering because they're kind of up and at an angle above it <laughs> yeah. so if they could do a front 
you know, face on sideways shot may be better, may look better. Um, but both Microsoft and Sony, like you said, have presented these as vertical consoles, which I don't think has been a like primary presentation for a console since the Wii. Like I know consoles have always had the option mostly to be vertical or horizontal, but like, you know, in the marketing pictures, they're typically have been horizontal um except for the Wii like I mentioned so I'm I'm excited about this I actually just turned my original Xbox one vertically not long ago because I needed more shelf space the um, VCR pretty much yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's what um, <laughs> yeah it's I'm my intention is to have the Xbox series X vertical and um now the ps5 I'm curious if that stand is included um, yeah, good point. I th- it's weird because it looks to me like it could possibly stand without it, but it's probably for stability, I'm assuming, because right? <laughs> the white parts of it go lower than the middle part, right? From what I'm seeing anyways. Yeah, it, I, w- I hope the stand is included. If not, it's going to be another vertical boy for or horizontal boy for me. But um, if it comes with the stand, I will have it up vertically. I think it looks better vertically. I think just the, the curves yeah. and the shape of it. Um, are more appealing appealing vertically. I, in particular, like the design of the console. I think it's very sleek and curvy, um, especially compared side-by-side with the Series X, which is just... um, Pretty much. I like the way Digital Foundry described the Series X. It's two GameCubes stacked on top of each other. (laughs) It really is, and I love the GameCube. I think its design is iconic. I love it. Um, But when... I don't know. I just like sleek, sexy, curvy hardware. And that's what the PS5 is. Now, on the other end of that, how does this thing cool itself? The PS4 is infamous for getting really loud um, under high, intense moments and just sounding like a, quote, jet engine. Um, Mark Cerny has talked about how the PS5, they've come up with some unique cooling solution, but obviously that hasn't been revealed yet. So... I'm curious how this cool itself. When I look at the Series X, I have no doubts that this thing will not overheat. Like, it will remain at a consistent temperature. And maybe that's partially in design because of the Red Ring of Death and just the paranoia surrounding, you know, especially when the original Xbox One launched and it had those huge vents and was thick and just, like, thing was whisper quiet. Um, Obviously, they've been able to taper that down into the size of the Xbox One X, um, and still maintain cool operating temperatures and being super quiet. And now the Series X is a, is a big boy again, but I, I assume it will be very quiet and maintain a good temperature. I'm curious how the PS5 is going to perform in that space. But aesthetically, I do prefer the PS5 over the Series X. Yeah, I think the Series X went for function over form. Like they, I don't think they cared about how their thing looked as long as it matched what they were trying there's, to do. There's really no form to it. Exactly. And I prefer that personally. My problem with the PS5 is I think if it was all black, I think I would be more sold on the design overall. I think the dual tone does make it look like a modem with a piece of paper wrapped around it, for better or worse. Um, I I actually, um, like I mentioned earlier, when I was talking about it, I have the Death Stranding PS4 Pro, um, which is two white, a top and bottom are white, and the middle is black. And so when I saw this, I was like, oh, it looks like my PS4. Um, but I do, I get that it's not typical to have a dual-toned console. Um, 
typically they are all white or all black or whatever the you know a special edition color may be but i'm used to the look so i'm okay with it i'm also interested if you're looking at the design it seems like if you're looking straight on at it to left and right look like the the vents for cooling and i'm curious as to how often the air will brush through the console into those like flaps on the side i don't know i just want to see it in 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 motion you know turned on and it's it's interesting i'll I'll applaud them for not doing something simple or something we expected to me it partially rings as like hey create something that looks like it's from the future not something that's actually from the future you know um it also is very reminiscent both it and the dual sense are like yo go play astrobot (laughs) you know so uh, I think I'll opt for the discless version just because I I'm definitely more of a digital person and I just want aesthetically it to be symmetrical. Um, I don't remember the last time I bought a disc game. I think maybe it was like in 2014, maybe 2015. It's been a while. I'm mostly a digital I, boy. I I buy physical games all the time. My last <laughs> physical game was uh, Clubhouse Games 51 Worldwide Classics for the Switch. That's a cartridge. My last disc game would have been. I'm trying to think of the last new game I played. I mean, I just played Death Stranding, which was physical. I don't, I don't know what I bought <laughs> this year. Who knows? A De- Do- Doom, Doom Eternal, probably last new like physical game I bought. Yeah. Um, I'll obviously have The Last of Us next week, um, physically as well. So you know, and then Ghost of Tsushima. But anyway, I digress. Um, I'm, I'm glad that they closed the show with that reveal. Um, they also went ahead and revealed headphones, a remote, a charging dot. Like they just gave us the whole gamut. They're just like, here you go. Yeah. It's, I, I, we were talking about this before the show. I want to know how, what the price difference is between the digital edition and, and the regular. And we didn't treat it as a huge deal, but it is kind of a big deal that PlayStation revealed two SKUs and one of them being digital only, because that's something we've heard about from Xbox for the longest time. It's like, yeah, of course they have the Xbox sad, you know what I mean? It's Xbox. They are doing that for PlayStation. It's been more rigid and like, would they even do a only digital, you know, version of their console? And I do think people aren't treating it as, as surprising of an announcement as it is. I don't know. I see it as quite surprising. It's it's going to allow them to compete um, price wise, and I'm you know I'm curious what that looks like because that's the that and the date are kind of like the final mystery surrounding both consoles, and a lot of people are worried that the uh, not worried but a lot of people think that the PS5 will cost more than the Series X. Phil Spencer has said how they are going to be competitive flexible. on price. Yeah, yeah, flexible. And, like, that's great to hear from him. That's really strong. And Microsoft, as a company as a whole, can afford to take a hit on the hardware because they're just bigger and more powerful. Um, and that's great. That's really competitive and awesome to hear coming into the launch of a new generation. But this all-digital version of the PS5 could allow them to be a bit more competitive. Let's say the PS5 is $600, which would be a, take you back to the PS3 days. It's a yikes kind of <laughs> statement, right? $600 is like, oof. And let's say the Series X is 500 If you, if the all digital version is 550 still a good story for Xbox, you know, $500. We are the cheapest new console on the market. 
But when you hear that the PS5 starts at 550, that's a bit that's a bit slightly easier to swallow. You don't have the six or you know the 599 is what it would be, but you know it's a bit closer. It's just it helps the com- image potentially, or yeah. say the PS5 is 550 and the Series X is 500, but then the all digital version is also 500. Then they're on at par, yeah, yeah. So depending on how this pricing narrative goes, this works out could work out for PlayStation. And to the opposite end, the thing you didn't mention is Jim Ryan talking about how they are set on a price and they're going to try to give you the best price for what you're getting in the box, which doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be expensive, but it isn't the wording Phil Spencer's using of, oh, we're flexible, we're, we're going to be very aggressive on the pricing, you know what I mean? So the assumption is is that PlayStation's a little more, more dead set on what price they're going to do and Xbox might be flexible to move. Um, and the tough thing, too, is we know that on paper, the PlayStation SSD is miles better than the Xbox, but in terms of all the other measurables, quote-unquote tech stuff, Xbox Series X is far and above it, right? So that's going to be an interesting conversation of if the PlayStation 5 is more expensive than that, how do people react to that? You know what I mean? With Xbox being generally the more powerful console, you know? Right. And it's weird. There's raw numbers there, and then you have to look at the market in the sense of... Um, third-party games that are in both of them, like Assassin's Creed Valhalla. How close are those two games going to perform? Um, because the PS5 has certain advantages and the Xbox has certain advantages. How different are third-party games? And then obviously, both first-party studio titles. You know, PlayStation has their in-house stuff and Xbox has their in-house stuff. And those studios are going to be able to extract like exact power from it and just be able to do a lot more because the optimize baseline it for sure right um and optimizing it for xbox potentially is a bit more tricky um due to likely it being having to be on pc and playable on the xbox one as well but remove that from the side it's where game developers go and what they extract from these two consoles is going to be super interesting because while they're both aiming for similar performance results 4k 120 that type of stuff like just bare bones ray tracing that stuff they're going about it two very different ways and i'm curious what the pros and cons of those performances unlike the ps4 and xbox one which were pretty similar like performance and power wise of like what they were trying to do um at launch granted the series or the xbox one x has taken that to a much better level than the PS4 Pro. Um, but I'm curious, I'm really excited to see stuff like Digital Foundry's breakdown of games across well, both of them over the course of the generation. Well, the funny thing is with the third-party stuff is it might come to a point where they can't take advantage of the PS5 load times with their SSD because they need to work on Xbox, and they can't take advantage of Xbox's raw power because they need to be able to have it stable on PlayStation. So it might end up meeting in the middle, right? Or so neither of their advantages is, they're are all taking... held back. Exactly, yeah. Um, and it might be the first-party stuff that really has to sell those platforms. Um, we're running a little long. <laughs> I've kept you quite a bit, so I want to get through this last stuff pretty quickly, but... Some notes. First up, Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo are both console launch exclusives on the PS5. This is something that wasn't mentioned during the presentation but came up afterwards in the PlayStation blog officially. Um, Which is 
interesting. I don't think it's as big of a deal as like a, a larger Bethesda title, but it is still interesting. Uh, we talked about Ghostwire Tokyo and Deathloop, and I don't know if those are going to have mass market appeal, but having those as, as like launch console exclusives on your platform can certainly help. And I wonder if that is a deal that PlayStation has in place because maybe they know that moving into early 2021, they might be a little light on content. So to secure stuff exclusively for their platform, they made this type of deal, which to me is interesting because if Bethesda is playing in the ballpark of doing this stuff for PlayStation, I'm curious to see if they played in this ballpark with Xbox as well. And I don't think this will happen because of the sales potential is astronomical and it doesn't make any sense for them. But imagine if Elder Scrolls 6 is a Xbox launch exclusive on console. That'd be insane. It would I'm be not saying it's going to happen. I, but the f- I have a hard time just picturing Elder Scrolls 6, especially with Starfield <laughs> in the middle of that. Or like, what if I've, say if, what if Starfield is a is a console launch exclusive, right, for Xbox? Yeah. Like I said, don't think I think those both of those games have way larger sales potential than Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo. But Bethesda being in this market of being able to do this console launch exclusive stuff has me intrigued. And who mm-hmm. knows, maybe PlayStation just offered a big, uh, you know, a larger check than Xbox, maybe they were bidding over these, you know. Who knows. Um next up the thing I wanted to mention earlier is there's some vagueness on what exactly this Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales thing is. So I sent a tweet over to Andrew uh, Reiner of uh, Game. I wasn't saying GameStop, of Game Informer. Uh, he's an executive editor over there, and I just asked him, "Hey, Andy, has there been any clarification by Insom or Sony if the Miles Morales reveal is an expansion DLC or a sequel? The capture on PS5 language at the end instead of only on PS5 made me scratch my head." And he replied, "I can't say anything yet. Sorry." <laughs> so. It's kind of a non-answer, but it actually opens the door to it possibly being what some have supposed. is like, we don't know if this is a full-on sequel. There isn't a two attached to it. There doesn't need to be for it to be a sequel. It's coming out holiday 2020, which seems early for a full-on-fledged sequel. They said captured on PS5, which means does it mean that there's a possibility to capture PS4 footage because it's expansion DLC for the first Spider-Man. And they're being vague. And it seems like it's on purpose. And I wonder... I don't know. It, it doesn't to, rub me the wrong way. I just hope that people don't get their expectations out of order when it ends up maybe possibly being something smaller size than what they anticipate, you know? Yeah, to to kind of play maybe devil's advocate's too strong, but to maybe look at the possibility of the other side briefly is just from early PS5 like SSD performance demos when Sony was talking about this at the earliest the game they always showed was Spider-Man and, like, load times with Spider-Man. And yeah. Insomniac spent a long time building up their, you know, this part of their engine for Spider-Man and the world of New York and stuff. So New York, pretty well established and defined. Like, that map, I can't imagine, is going to change so much they probably would just add things to it. It's not like the city of New York, like, you know, changes all that much. You would so, hope they had more boroughs, right, or you know other maybe yeah, possibly, but that's more additions or density in places. Yeah. So, kind of the like the foundation of a Spider-Man game is in place, or at least the world side of it, and then what you populate that world with, and the intricacies and the missions and the type of gameplay and stuff, you can expand that way. Miles 
uh, was clearly shown with unique powers, like, you know, his electricity and his ability to uh, be turn invisible. So those are obviously going to be mechanics in the style of gameplay. So it's, you know, they put this game out in 2018, obviously went to work on a sequel, and which is at least turned out to be this Miles Morales game to a certain degree. So not entirely far-fetched, um, maybe not of the scope, quality, like visual fidelity quality that maybe f- three or four years to work on a sequel could be. But it's not surprising they want to get another Spider-Man game out as fast as possible. And even if it is this kind of cross-platform game, associating it with PS5 is great for the PlayStation 5. Um, yeah. Don't you think it's I, a red flag, though, that re- red flag is, has a strong connotation to it, but it alludes to what I'm going to try to say. Don't you think it's a bit of a red flag, though, that we saw way more of Horizons, Horizon 2 and way more of Ratchet and Clank, and neither of those games have dates. And this game is supposedly coming out in holiday 2020, and we saw very brief glimpses. I don't... I don't know, because... Hmm. In general, and like I said, red I flag is so. way too strong of a you know what I mean a in word, ge- but yeah. In general, I suppose, but also, like a thing that a lot of people love is when a game is announced and then it has a really quick turnaround release date. Recent example was like Paper Mario and the Origami King, but I remember wasn't it Fallout Four like got announced yeah. and then was out a few months like it's big and exciting. And to have that energy surrounding a title like Spider-Man, especially when the last game was so well-received, is kind of cool. And then to tie that with a console, and you could see maybe a future where here's the date and the price of the PS5, and here's like the exclusive reveal of Spider-Man footage. Um, I just don't want that... my heart broken, Max. I'm gonna, I... I want to temper my expectations and be pleasantly surprised. That's... You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, always air, prepare for the worst, hope for the best. Um, one thing though, that makes me kind of think this is at least a PS5 exclusive title was, um, Jim Ryan's quote, which he's talked about in the, um, in the past, but in this presentation, he brought it up again. Um, I don't have the exact quote, uh, cause I was writing this in my notebook, but the energy, it was, it, he's been very clear about sony's mission to take the benefits from moving on from one generation to the next um which one could read as like kind of a a a point against xbox saying you know their first party game is going to be playable on both current and last gen or current and next gen consoles but sony has kind of leaned into this is a clear generational definitive gap like the games that you will play on ps5 are games you can only play on ps5 because of what that hardware provides and but so do you think I just, that this Miles Morales stuff could potentially be PS5 exclusive but still be a part of Spider-Man? Because we have seen those weird bootleg videos of the load times, right, for Spider-Man? And what if they want to port Spider-Man to PS5 but have a reason for you to buy it again instead of just playing backwards compatible, right? And what if this Miles Morales thing is exclusive to the PS5 version of Spider-Man? Like, um, like a Persona 5 Royale, like an expansion upon that? Possibly. Yeah, where you can't even buy the just the DLC. <laughs> You're kind of just screwed to have to buy the whole game again. Possibly. I I mean, I could see that from a business side of things. I, do you think... Narr- 
Go ahead. Sorry, I, I just thought of something. Do you think Andy's quote maybe means that Game Informer has like the cover story for this game, and that he can't really give any information because there may be NDA'd? Because I could totally see this being a Game Informer partnership, right? Right, that big Game Informer cover. Yeah, very possible. It's there's that. There's also he literally may not know anything. Like he just can't say anything about it. Um, yeah. There's both on those sides, or he does know something and he literally can't talk about it. <laughs> so there's a bunch of stuff. Either way, very excited to play this game. And the <laughs> yeah. PS5, the PS5 is where I'm going to play it, even if it is on the PS4. Like, I'm going to want to be able to take advantage of whatever this, the PS5 offers. And so that's where I want to, you know, that's where I'm going to play it no matter what. And I think associating it with the console, very strong. So I had some questions that we were going to get into, but we've ran quite. A, we're we're over two hours at this point, Max. I'm sorry for keeping you so long, but oh, you're okay. We've we've had really good conversations about this. Um, so the question I was going to ask, I'm not. We're not going to go through them, but I wanted to know the listeners know what we what we're going to what we were going to get to. So I was going to ask you about the lack of dates and should we be surprised? We kind of covered that with like the launch titles and partnerships and all that. Um, my other question was still no clarity on backwards compatibility or smart delivery equivalent. What gives? We kind of got into that a little bit as well. I think that'll just be a part of when they get more into like the UI and maybe the price and all of that nitty gritty stuff. Um, no huge launch title. Is that the right move? We kind of touched on that as well. And then when do we see the price? Obviously, we'll see it before the console launches. <laughs> it's, it's the safest answer. Um, my assumption would be by next month. I don't think they go into August without giving the price, right? That seems a little crazy. I anything's possible in 2020 man i can see yeah. both i see both consoles not having a date or a price by august that'd be insane we'll see uh that's been it for the show normally at this point we talk about what we've been playing but we've gone quite a long time so instead before we head out can you please let the people know where to find you and give them the rundown real quick on chase the stick again if you can max oh of course um you guys can find me online i tweet all the flipping time uh, over at uh, at Max Roberts one four three, uh, you can follow my longer form writing over at maxfrequency.net, uh, which is also where you can find Chasing the Stick: The History of Naughty Dog during the PS4 era. It is a full written history of Naughty Dog and their journey with the PS4 from 2013 through 2020 here, right before the release of The Last of Us Part Two. So, if you're excited for The Last of Us Part Two and you want to know how Naughty Dog got to where they are today and how this game came to be. Um, I I may be biased, but I think it's the best way to prepare for the game. And you can either read it or listen to it. So if you just search for Chasing the Stick, uh, you can find it in your podcast player or you can go look at it at maxfrequency.net. Awesome. Thank you for joining me. This was a great two-hour conversation, mostly about PlayStation 5. Uh, lots to talk about. Man, I, this gets me excited because... I want to see the Xbox equivalent of this show as well. You know what I mean? Because just like this show where there was third parties that Xbox people can get excited about, if you're just a PlayStation guy, that Xbox event is likely, it's going to focus on first parties, but from what we're hearing, there's going to be some third party stuff too. So I'm it's going to be exciting. I'm jazzed for that July event, um, mostly for Halo, but I just want to see new video games. I want to see what these new consoles can do, and I can't wait to get a fuller picture of how the beginning of this generation is shaping up. So I'm, I'm stoked to see what Xbox has cooking. Same. 
Uh, thank you guys for listening. If you can, please follow us on iTunes. Leave us a review. You can also find the podcast on Spotify and all your other popular podcast players. On YouTube, if you search Controlled Interest, we'll pop right up. Subscribe. Hit the bell notification so you know when we upload new videos. The YouTube sub box is a fickle mistress and you can't trust it. Uh, so hitting the bell notification will give you that notification when we upload a new video. And uh, yeah, you'll know and you won't have to worry about relying on YouTube. On Twitter, you can follow me at Jared underscore Dom, who's not here with us this week. You can follow at Dom's Oreos. And Chris, who's not here with us here with us this week, you can follow at Topher Noons. Uh, yeah, that's it for this week. Catch us next week. I've lost track of all the events, so there might be something we're going to be talking about next week. Um, with all the delays, too, it's been so difficult to keep up. But once again, Max, thank you for joining us. I know it's a rare occasion in this day and age to have you on a podcast, so I appreciate you coming on to talk PS5 with me. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Check out Chase the Stick, guys. It's really good stuff. See you guys next time.